I started this series of sermons that I've been on now for four weeks after we had a ministry team meeting five weeks ago. And one of the things that I realized was that as a church, we need to be very clear on what our purpose is. So I've been preaching sermons from, from God's Word, uh, trying to get us to understand um, what we're supposed to be doing. And what we're, what we're supposed to be doing usually will help us to understand what we're not supposed to be doing. Doesn't that kind of make sense? Right? And it's kind of like when I say, if I spend time teaching you from God's Word who God is, right, then you won't have any trouble understanding who you are. Because everything is looked at from a, a distant perspective. You see things from far and then you can see things from close in. And then you have no understanding accommodating and orienting your thoughts and your, your beliefs. You, you, can't, you understand. And that, that's my goal in teaching. Um, I, I have a, some training in behavioral science and one of the educational philosophies that I enjoyed uh, and like was one that's called Gestalt. It's a German philosophy and it was um, based on the fact that not everything when you see it individually, for instance I'll give you an example, a house, well a house is composed of bricks and wood and windows and hardware and all kinds of things compose a house and you can lay them all out in, in the front yard, but you don't have a house. You just have a bunch of things. But you need to understand what windows are and doors and walls and all these things that make a house. You only understand them when they're all together, when they're put together in one cohesive piece. So that's what I want to do, and that's what I've been trying to do, and that's what I've been doing for 17 years. I want to give you everything I can from what God's Word says. In this particular uh, series of sermons, I want it to be very clear what our purpose is from God's Word. So you can look at everything and then know how to put it together. In other words, how it works, how it functions. And then that's on you. That's, that's your job at that point to put it together with the Lord. You're, you're going to then answer to him. Okay? So Proverbs 28, 19, or 20, rather 29, 18 says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So our vision should be completely built on his mission. What we envision as a church and our purpose should be 100% synchronized to his mission. What his mission is for the church. Okay? So uh, if we don't have a vision, uh, the Bible says we perish as a people. Uh, in other words, without a vision, uh, we're doomed to wander around aimlessly. And that's not what I want to do. I do not want to wander around in a vicious circle going nowhere. I want to know exactly where I'm going and why. And that's, that's what I think we need to do as a church. So, these are the sermons I've preached up to this point. And if you can see clear, or clearly now, that's, that's awesome. But from the very beginning of this series, I talked about 
One of the things that Jesus tells us that we need to do is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, priorities. The Lord states in one of his gospels, that's from Matthew's gospel, that the first things are first. And what is the first thing in the life of a Christian? God's kingdom. And God's righteousness. What's right? We can say it in that way. And then all the other things that we worry about, like where we're going to live and what we're going to eat and how we're going to dress, he's saying he'll take care of them because all these other things shall be added to, unto us. I preached this four weeks ago. And it also says that all these things shall be added unto us. It's telling us that when we put God first, he puts us first. When we worry about his kingdom, he worries about ours. His things are prioritized our things are prioritized. It's how it works. It's what the scriptures say. Have you tried it? I mean, you'll never know. If it, you can know about it, but if you don't practice it, then how would you ever know? You can continue to put your life first and your world first, and what you'll get is not none. Of, you'll never meet all your needs, is what he's saying. But if you put God's needs and what he's he's allowing us to participate in his kingdom, we doesn't have to. We don't. Have, we get to participate with him. He doesn't really need us, but he he has planned to use us, and he wants us to put his kingdom first. The other the second sermon that I did was a couple weeks ago out of Colossians, and it says, "Whatever you do, then based on if we decide that we want God's kingdom to be what we first." Seek, whatever you do in words and in deeds, do everything in the name of the Lord. In other words, we're doing it for his cause. We're doing it for his benefit, right? We're doing it for him. And if we're doing it for him, we need to do it heartily from all our heart, and we need to do it well. We, we can't be mediocre. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. That, that's not even a Christian doctrine. I'm talking about doing it well. Doing it well. Because, why? Because we're doing it for him. Right? If that's not clear, I, I don't know what else could be. Right? And then we talked about um, the, the harvest being plentiful a couple weeks ago. When we look out into the fields, the harvest is ready. It just needs to go get picked. But there's a big problem. There are no laborers. There's not enough people for the needs that exist, not just in this congregation, and there's plenty. I can tell you about health concerns in this congregation. I can tell you about financial needs in this congregation. I can tell you about people who have relational problems. As a pastor, I'm not going to tell you, but I can tell you. There's a lot of needs just here. But what about outside these walls and in this community and in this city? And here we are, a church, a body of believers with a harvest is sitting out there. And my purpose for mentioning that is that what are we to do? Because it's his harvest, but he needs laborers. So we learn we're to pray to the Lord of the harvest, send us workers, people with a heart to serve. That's a couple weeks ago. Last week, uh, Romans 12, 1, very popular verse, hey, we're to uh, offer our, our, our 
our lives as a living sacrifice. Not like the Old Testament where those sacrifices had to be killed. No, Jesus already took the penalty of our sins. He already gave himself and his life for us. So what we can give him in return, and it's reasonable, that's what it says, it's our reasonable service, is to give our lives as living sacrifices. We get to live for him. Amen. And, and how is that done, by the way? You know, Pastor, you're kind of getting really theological on us. No, I'm not. Because he goes on to say in the very next verses that we're to, what? Use our gifts that have been distributed to us. They've been given to us by his grace. Each one of us as he measures. So you're only responsible for what he's given you. You're not responsible for what you don't have. Only what you do have. You already have it. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. To whom little is given, little is required. Some of you will have less requirements. I don't know why he distributes and measures these gifts out differently. That's his choice. But whatever gift you have, we're to offer it as a living sacrifice. Amen? What a privilege. You know, in eternity... If you get it now, if you understand all this now, in eternity you're going to go, man, I'm so happy I understood that. Look how wonderful it is up here. And look, look of what the Lord has given me as a responsibility or as a blessing or as a reward. And if you did nothing, you'll still make it into heaven. Uh, the scriptures tell us that if your service was wood, stubble, and hay, it'll be burned on, uh, on that day when the Lord gives us our rewards. We'll enter into heaven with nothing because we did nothing. But those who brought precious stones, those that did works that were like silver and gold, you went to the fire for him. He says that there will be a reward for those. Not, not losing our salvation, but man, I don't want to go into heaven smelling like smoke. I don't want to be a smoked ham or a turkey. You know, I just, whoo, I just barely made it. Wow, whoo, that was close. <laughs> Man, and I thought the whole time I was building that straw house that I was doing something for Jesus. No, you weren't. And as a pastor, it's my job to let you know what counts for the kingdom of God. Okay? <laughs> I, tell you, I, I heard that sermon one time, and I was, I was scared. I was so young in the Lord. But what it's trying to say is, there's, the, uh, there's going to be this seat, uh, not the judgment, uh, the, well they call it the judgment seat of Christ, but it's not a judgment seat, and it's a reward like in the Olympics, which you give to the runners after they finish the race. Some will get a gold medal, some will get a silver medal, some will get a bronze medal, and some don't get any medal. That's exactly, it's called the Bema seat. Look it up where you see the judgment seat of Christ. Not a judgment, it's a reward stage. It was what the uh, Greeks did in the time of the Olympics. Paul uses the same word, Bema, B-E-M-A, look it up. We are going to have to give account to the Lord for what we did. And we're going to see in this sermon today that he is telling us and giving us instructions on what to do now that we're believers. So, Jesus, just before he ascends into heaven, 
after the resurrection, of course, after the crucifixion, he goes and he spends 40 days with his disciples. And this passage is found, the Great Commission. Everybody knows about it, but I hope today you'll leave here really clear about it so that you can make a decision for Christ with Christ, right? Not with me, with Christ. Because we all have a personal relation with Jesus Christ. Amen? We all have a, it's you and him, not me, you and me. You can come to me and tell me what a great thing's going on with him, but it's between you and him. I'm just happen to be the, the servant in the middle. Amen? So, the Great Commission, right before Jesus sends into heaven, it says this, and let's do, uh, move it over to the next slide. And that's the only one we're going to have. And let's stand, if you don't mind, so we can read God's word. And then from here, we're going to see what he has to tell us. I know you've heard the passage, but hopefully I can give you um, more depth and maybe some new insight, right? And then maybe as a church, we, we can um, put our lives and prioritize our lives toward these objectives that the Lord has given us as a church since we call ourselves Christians. Amen? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Why are there 11? Because one of them already betrayed them. Right, Judas. No 12, 11. So the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. There's always doubters in the crowd. But they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth and on earth has been given to me. So he has the authority to say these words. Because all authority lie in Christ. Uh, that's another way to say that is he is the boss. He's like the boss's boss. He's, like the, he's not like the assistant to the assistant manager like me. Right? That comes from Jeff Spicoli, Fast Time at Ridgemont High, movie from the 70s. Right? What's your job? Oh, I'm the assistant to the assistant manager. Oh, wow. You really got a high position. No, I'm just assisting the assistant. But he has what? All authority. He's the boss of the bosses. Okay, I'm going to leave that there. But here's what matters. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, well, then we need to listen to what he says. Go. Why did I stop there? I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to emphasize. So easy. Go. Okay, now let's find out, go where and do what, right? Therefore, why is it therefore, therefore? <laughs> where is it therefore, therefore? Because of what he just said, all authority is given to him. Where? In heaven and on earth. Therefore, because of that, due to that, as a consequence of who I am, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, bless our time together in your word. Thank you, Father, for clarity. Thank you, Lord, for being so direct that there really isn't a way to not understand unless we really don't want to. And that would 
that would explain why many churches and many Christians are not doing these things. Not because it's not clear, but because it is, and they don't want to. Our prayer, Lord, is this Crosspoint Community Church, that everything we do, every ministry, every activity, is geared toward obeying this command. And we ask your grace and mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Okay. So, as I said, and the emphasis would be here today that these verses essentially um, outline for us the purposes of the church and uh, the objectives that the Lord has for the church. Because remember, he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. He's leaving them. He's leaving them. Granted, he told them to wait at Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit would accompany us while the Lord's absence, right? He's going into heaven. The scripture tells that he went and he sat at the right hand of the Father, ever interceding on our behalf. He's our great high priest. He's our mediator. He's our defense lawyer right now. That's what he does for us. And he said he's coming again. But until he comes again, he's given us kind of like something to do. Right? So uh, I kind of want to know what that is. But I do feel, and I'll repeat it because I already said it, but I'll, I'll say it again for emphasis. All of our activities here at Crosspoint, and I'm going to make sure from this day forward that everything we do, all our programs, all our activities, all our purposes, they're guided by this rule, this, this command that Jesus gave us. If we're not doing it, we're going to stop it. We're just not going to do it anymore. If it's not geared toward following uh, what the Lord's telling us to do. The first thing that he does here after his resurrection, so this great victory takes place. Jesus goes into the tomb. The disciples are bummed out. They, they're like thinking, oh my goodness, we just spent three years with him thinking that you know, he's going to usher in the kingdom of God. And, and, and here we are in the, in the, the council of 12. By the way, they, they are going to be the council of 12. They're going to sit in heaven. Uh, and in the councils of, of God, when, when we go into eternity, you'll see these apostles. And you'll see some of the prophets up there too of the Old Testament. They're the, they're the foundation. And that's, those are the men that God used to lay it. Right? But they're all bummed out and Jesus died and man, they loved him and they had all these expectations and oh, oh, woe is us. Now what are we going to do? Let's go fishing. Or let's go hide in the upper room because man, they're probably going to do to us what they did to him. Just death awaits. And they loved him and he's gone and they didn't even have time to anoint his body and they rushed him into the into the tomb and the, so the women go three days later and lo and behold an angel tells them that you know hey why are you looking uh in a tomb uh the living you know they, they, they don't he he's 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 risen and and they're excited and some of them still doubting and and then of course jesus appears and starts to teach him for 40 days and the last thing he tells them is this what we're going to look at today the great commission so the last thing someone tells you and then their leave probably is very important. Right? If I were to go and say, you know, hey, Crosspoint, I'm, I'm going to leave for a while and 
these are my final instructions as pastor. Like, oh, really? What do you have to say? This is the most important thing. Final words. It's kind of like a, a, a will or a testament a test, uh, that people have. He's not dying, but he's leaving. So these are for, uh, for us, after his resurrection, the greatest victory to ever take place. Jesus comes out of the grave. The greatest victory. And then the very first thing he says and what he focuses on is the last thing he says before he actually rises into heaven. Uh, he gives them instructions. You know, one time I did a test with my students, a final. Now, I wrote at the top, you know, put your name, period, the date. This is a final. And then I wrote, follow these instructions very clearly because it's going to help you get a great grade. And I wrote what they were to do. They were to write an essay about um, the classes they did well in and why and the classes where they're struggling and how they plan to change it. And then at the very end, I wrote, oh, by the way, if you put your name, uh, address, uh, sorry, uh, date and uh, period, and if you put that there correctly, you can turn this paper in for an A. They never got to the end, to the very last part. And they're all writing and all. I'm like going, wow, they don't have to. They can get an A by following instructions. And one kid's looking at me like, and I go, because he saw it and he comes up and turns it in. You know what the problem with us is? We don't follow directions very well. We, we, we have these ideas in our head. And of course, traditionally in education, there's always a final. And it's a, why, why can't we have a party instead? Well, I was trying to have a party, but nobody read the instructions. Because we got two hours to do nothing. At least on that point. Just sign it. You put your name, date, uh, the date and the period, and read the instructions. And at the very end, do what it says. And it says to turn it in without actually doing the essay. And only one person got it. Isn't that how we are? How about when you buy a new, I like gadgets, computers, tablets, phones, TVs, anything that's electronic, I love them. First thing I do is open a box and I chuck the instructions. And then later when I can't get the thing to work, I'm always searching for, where after those instructions? And now they make them so these like very easy, like with pictures, push the button, number one. Number two, connect it to your Wi-Fi. Number three, hit next. And you, know, you could do it really easy, but you know, we don't want to throw out the instructions. So, to make it clear and so that there would be no argument on how we should spend our time, how we should use our gifts and resources, Jesus told them the following. And look at verse 19. He said, go then. Or go. Didn't he? Go. Go, therefore. You know the word go is? It's a verb. It's action. Did you read ahead, Maria? It's an action. It means action. There, there is no other way to explain it. He, he's calling us to go for him. He wants us to be his representatives, right? Ambassadors is what Paul would call us. Servants, or whatever way you want to look at it. You're to move. 
not, not to stay, not to sit, to go. And it's really interesting because as a believer, what we understand is that we're, we're witnesses. That's out of Acts 1.8. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit falls on you, you will be my witnesses. And the word witnesses out of the Greek is really martyrs. Isn't that interesting? The word witnesses means martyr from the Greek. It's why important to understand, at least do some research in the original language of Greek. Because it, witnesses has nothing to do with martyrs in English. But the Greek is saying, you will be my martyrs. You will be those who have died to your will to live for my will. And so, they're messengers, they're ambassadors, they're witnesses. They're, they're to testify. They're to give uh, a word, a testimony of what? Of what has happened. What has happened? Jesus has risen after Jesus had died because he paid for the penalty of our sins and yet they can be forgiven if we accept his offer of salvation. Oh, and by the way, he reigns in power after he came out of the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father as he ascended into heaven and he said he's coming again. That matters. That matters. He's coming again matters. And everything else in the story matters. Or you can believe like the world believes a thousand things and then some of what happens after death. Some believe in annihilation. Some believe nothing happens. You just die and you go to the ground like a dog. No soul, no afterlife. And then there's all kinds of weird things. So you can, I don't know, what it, Jesus says, I'm coming again for you, that where I am, you will be with me. So we understand that as his witnesses. That's our message. And that's our responsibility. To share the good news of the gospel. Right? And of course, we have to understand it's a privilege because we're going to help others come into the kingdom also. That's our job to share. That we have accepted Jesus as our only and sufficient Savior and He's Lord of our lives. So, the verse go is also interesting in the Greek. It is not just go. It's really and literally while you go. As you go. Okay? Think about it. As you go. As you go to the market. As you go to school. As you go home. As you go to work. Wherever you go. As you go. What? And then he tells us. So really, a lot of the Great Commission takes place in churches where we're training and making disciples. But it's really not where it should be done, the act of the Great Commission. It's outside. So the church is like a gas station. Oh, we're only here for one, or it's like an EV station. All we're here to do is get charged up again so that we can leave and go out. And as we go, so it's an action, but it's as we go wherever we go, whenever the opportunity presents itself, we're to be witnesses, we're to share. And what else are we to do? We're to make disciples. Look at that next part of verse 19. 
we're to make disciples. He says that? Make them? Yeah. That's what we're to do. We're to make disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, a disciple comes from the word discipline. It's a discipleship commission we have. Not just a great commission like to just go, but to disciple as we go. And then someone might ask, what does that mean? Well, there's someone that has to be willing to learn. You cannot be a disciple if you're not willing to learn. You can't even be a Christian if you're not willing to learn. Really, your life is the most, of, uh, most miserable if you're not willing to learn. You're just living and making the same mistake all of your life. You're like a 50-year-old acting like a 12-year-old because you never learn. What a misery of a life. We're to progress. We're to advance. We're to thrive. Going a vicious circle, going nowhere. What a oh man! No wonder people have and there's so much mental illness because they don't have God's word. They don't have the truth. They don't have something to set them free from the mundane and the lies of this world. Just saying. So a disciple is someone who's willing to learn. Oh, and he's also willing to learn from a teacher. So it requires humility. At some point, you have to be willing to be taught. How easy is it to teach there, uh, Yolanda, when the students don't want to learn? Not fun, huh? It's a tough task, I'm telling you. So, in reality, what a disciple is, is a student. A student. And, of course, if you're going to learn, that means that you're willing, you're willing to listen. We've been going through the book of Revelation in a men's Bible study in Spanish. And one of the things that's repeated in chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, 17, and 28, is he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What do you mean, do I have ears? Well, just grab them, but that's not what he's referring to. So we're talking about the listening capacity of your ears. He who has an ear, let him. What do you mean, let him? Yeah, you have to be willing. Well, I don't want to. Okay, you don't want to. All right, that's an option you have. Good luck with that. I'm just, I really want to get this across. We have to be willing to listen and willing to learn. What the Lord's really trying to do is to get you out of your funk that you're stuck in. But you, you think you know it all and you can't learn from anyone, much less him, or what, what hope do you have when you can't even learn from the one who, out of... He, he spoke and out of nothing the whole universe leapt into existence. And you think you know more than him? I'm, I'm, just, I'm telling you, you're going to remember my words. You don't listen and decide to go your own way. You're going to pay. Sooner or later. You will reap what you sow or not sow because there's the sins of commission what you do but there are also sins of omission what you don't do that you should so how do you make life simple just listen to what the Lord has to say he's the one who has the instruction manual for life 
And as a church, these are our instructions to go. And the Bible also tells us in Hebrews 4, 7, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, why would he even say that, the Hebrew writer? Because that's an option. You can harden your heart. That's what I've been trying to say. I'm saying to you today, do not harden your heart. Open your heart. And you say, well, I don't know how. Ask him to break your heart open. See, this is the reason why he allows us to go through trials. To crush our hearts, but not to destroy us. So that we can then open them and receive the greatest blessing that there is. And that's salvation and the Holy Spirit. Man, he has crushed me so many times. I'm so stubborn. And I'm learning not to be. He has bounced me, kicked me. I mean it in a sense that I've been pushed around and fallen. I tell people all the time that I have a DD degree. What was that? Not a doctorate of divinity. I have a doctorate of the desert. He sent me into the desert many times in my life and reduced me to nothing so that I could know that I depend on him. And that's the best thing that could ever happen. So, I mean, if you, if you, if you hear his voice, if, why does it say if in Hebrews 4, 7? Because there's an option. You don't have to. You have free will. But if, if you hear his voice, it's because you haven't hardened your heart. So ask him to soften your heart. And then, of course, I say this all the time here, and it's probably one of my life's verses. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. You have to be willing to. You will never have faith. Ever, ever, ever. It doesn't come because I, 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 uh, I have a magic wand and I, or special space dust that I throw on you as a congregation and say, have more faith. No, it comes from your willingness to hear God's word. And hearing God's word opens up everything for you because it's God's word in a world that has fallen and where our enemy and adversary would lie to you and tell you things that would destroy you. So, uh, again, this is what we're going to go tell. This is what we're going to go share when, I, when asked, right? So, a disciple is someone who follows the Lord's teaching as a way of life. A disciple is a person who imitates his teacher. A, a disciple is not merely one who learns, but one who, after learning, teaches others. And then shares with others what he has learned. So here's how it works. There's a teacher who shares. A disciple who receives what the teacher shares. And the person who is shared is Jesus. Amen? So keep in mind that our commission is not simply to win souls. Oh, we got to go win souls. Yes, but that's just the, oh, that's the first step. Winning souls is not easy, but it's only the first step. Ours is to win souls and make disciples. You guys, understand? <laughs> the Lord's blessed me recently with uh, texts and phone calls and messages from people that have been here before. Because I, sometimes I wonder, I've been here 17 years, and man... One of the things that I was like thinking to myself, gosh, I mean, everybody judges the success of a church by the 
size of the crowd. And the Lord showed me that there's hundreds of disciples out there that I've discipled. That's all. That's all. That, well, what's the big deal of that? I don't know how many they're discipling. But you see, the, 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 the multiplication factor in there is everyone matters, but if we don't teach someone and disciple them, and we stay just as a learner, never actually going out and making disciples, we're not doing what God asks us to do as a church. Okay? So... We're to win souls, and then with those souls that are one, we're to make disciples. Then we're to bring them into fellowship, Christian fellowship, and build them up in the faith. That's our, God, uh, our goal. And then he tells us where we do it. Right? Not only what we must do, but where we're to do it. And he says, make disciples of all nations. Wow. Of the whole world. But we're starting in Rialto. And then we go out to not just this street, but we go past Baseline and past Riverside Avenue. And then we try to make it down to Foothill. And then hopefully all the way to the 10 Freeway. And then hopefully over here all the way up to the 15 if you keep going up Riverside. And, and then maybe a little bit over into Fontana and Colton and, you know, and then maybe further out. And well, that's the whole point. We've got to get out. But we, if we haven't even ever gone to our next door neighbor, uh, how, then how in the world are we are going to go to another country? You know, Pastor, what we need around here is we need to go to the world. Okay? But you haven't even gone to your neighbor. Some of you, well, let me, let me say that again. Some people, I don't want to accuse anyone or say that I think this is happening. Some of us have even gone to our own families. Our own friends, co-workers, team members, community, and we want to go to another country? A whole other country? And that includes strangers. Don't be so ugly as a Christian that you don't have anyone, you can't even talk to a stranger. You want to have friends, you got to be friendly. And what a friend we have in Jesus. So let's use his example that he was patient and loving with us first and reached us not by any other means except that he was willing to approach us and consider us his friends when we were yet his enemies. So even our enemies we should approach, not just strangers. And people who are different than we are. Yeah. I don't know, is it, is it, am I clear? And then it says what we're to do once we go there, and where we go, the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. We all know what baptism means, but I like to say baptism is simply a symbolic and material gesture that we physically demonstrate by when we have our baptism back here. We usually do it on Easter. It's a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality that has already occurred in your heart. It doesn't save us. It's just a testimony. Uh, we have accepted the work of Christ in our hearts. 
So we go into the water and we're declaring that we have died with Christ because in reality he died for us. And we go into the water and we come out resurrected as he came out resurrected. But we come out born again. We have eternal life. And in the water it cleanses us of all sins. That's the symbolism there. But the water also gives life. It does both. So that's why we're baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is our way of telling the world that we have identified ourselves with what Christ did for us. We're identifying ourselves with Jesus because he identified with us at the cross. He did not go to the cross because he was sinful. He did not go to the cross because he was condemned. He was innocent. He went to the cross voluntarily, according to Isaiah 53, so that the iniquity of us all would fall on him. He took what we deserved. And so when we get baptized, we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for taking all my sins when you died and went to the, to the grave. And then you come out in resurrection power. We are born again by the Spirit. And we're identifying with Christ. That's what baptism is. baptism is. That's what we're doing when we do it. We're saying that to the world. And then we're to teach them to observe... Part of discipleship is to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So we have the Bible and we're, our struggle and our objective is to obey the Lord. Simply, I always like to use the example of Joseph. Joseph was in Egypt, had been sold into bondage by his own brothers. 500 miles away, no one knew who he was. No one even cared. He was a slave. He was in the house of Potiphar. His father would have never known. His brothers would have never known. His, his tribe would have never known if he had gone in with Potiphar's wife in an act of adultery. Who would have known? Who cares? No one sees you. He cared because he said, how can I do this and offend my Lord and my God? We obey because we love Him. And it's just best for us. He knows what's best for us. If He tells us to stay out of adulterous relationship, or if He tells us to stay out of lying or stealing, or all of the Ten Commandments, and then much more, there's a reason behind it. He cares about us. Because we live in a fallen world, and these things are there. Not only are they in the world... They're in us. We have a sinful nature. So the three enemies of the, of the Christian is the flesh, right? The world, the cosmos, the system. It's all against Christ. And the devil. But he's overcome all of them. He kicked Satan out of heaven when he was still Lucifer and watched him fall as lightning. So he's conquered him. He has a sentencing a, a date for his sentencing and he knows that his days are numbered right the flesh he took into the grave when he died on our behalf and the world well he's given us his world uh, his word so that we can be not conformed to this world but be renewed uh, in our minds with God's word with God's ways with the Holy Spirit we're new creatures all three of the things that are our enemies have been defeated how about joining that program that he's given us. So, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you.
So this includes the whole word of God. Right? Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? The word of God. Which 2 Timothy 3.16, 17 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God, inspired and profitable for teaching all scripture, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We're to give importance and emphasize God's word. I don't know if that's what you're getting here from me. <laughs> I do know, actually. That's what you're getting. When is the sermon over? Oh, let me do my part, man. Then you go do yours. <laughs> I have gotten so free lately. I don't, it's just because I don't care anymore about anything except what the Lord wants. I just don't. I've spent so many years trying to please other people. And all of them have abandoned me. All of them. Except for the ones I love that I still have a good relationship with. You can't please people. You can only please God. You, you're going to be miserable if you're trying to please people. You're trying to live for people. You're trying to be uh, accepted by people. You just be you in Christ. And whatever happens, happens. But at least you got one person on your side. And that's him. Well, of course. Obviously, Maria. Wow. You are listening. <laughs> all scripture is breathed by God. We should be observing and obeying all that he has commanded us. That's the whole, the whole Bible. Paul says in Acts 20:27, 20, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And the church that does not teach people the whole counsel of God, the whole Bible, and if that's necessary verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, if you're not learning God's word, then they're not obeying the great commission command, the mandate. So this is what we must do. And then what does he, he say to us as, a par, as parting words? And I'm going to finish real quick here. He says to remember something. Verse number 20 at the last part of it. He says, and remember, I am with you every day until the end of the world. Wow. Talk about security. You can put as many locks on your door as you want. Hide your money in the most secure cloud. Think that because you have a bat behind your door or a gun that you're secure. No, you're not. It's true security is found in Christ and in his presence. Your life is secure because the Lord is present. Your hope is in the fact that he said he would never leave you nor would he ever forsake you. Didn't he say that? And remember, oh, what should I remember? I don't remember anything. Well, if you can't remember anything, remember this one thing. He said, I am with you every day until the end of the world. We have his presence. Jesus promises that he'll be with his disciples. But not only does he give us his presence, he gives us his power. In Acts 1.8, which would be equivalent to the Great Commission, 
But the last thing he would say before he ascended, he says, and the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. In other words, we cannot be effective witnesses without his power. The word power here in the Greek is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite. We have dynamite power. We are not wimpy as a church. We should not be, at least. We're powerful in Christ. We can overcome anything if you'd only trust Him and obey Him and follow His word and His commands. So the Great Commission is enabled by... We're not doing this on our own power. That's another thing that liberates us. We don't have to be the ones actually doing it. We're just going forward and He's doing it through us. He said that he would be our, we would be His witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. So our, our, our Jerusalem would be Rialto. Our Judea and Samaria would be, uh, for instance, maybe uh, San Bernardino County, uh, California, and then the ends of the earth. Well, of course, that doesn't need an explanation. We got to start. It's a circle right in the home. Then it goes out to the neighbors and friends and, and co-workers. And, and then it goes out to the community. Then it goes out to the county. Then it goes out to the, you know what I'm saying? It spreads from one and goes out. He says, I'll be with you wherever you go. And as you go. So, one last thing. There was a parable where Jesus in Luke 19, 13 he gives his servants these talents. They, it was, they were like these gold plates, if you will. Gives each one like coins. He says, hey, I'm going to give you these coins. I want you to use them while I'm gone. So... I ask myself all the time when we talk about the, the ten talents, when we talk, I think some versions called pounds, but what they are is precious metals. I ask myself all the time, what could be the most precious thing that he could give us? Because there's a lot of interpretation of what those talents are, talents in that they were coins. And the most precious thing he could give us is the gospel. Because the gospel is what leads us to eternal life. Nothing else in this world will give us eternal life except for the gospel. So what he's given us is the gospel. And it's like these coins. We're to go out and multiply them. Earn interest on them, if you will. Get some kind of dividend. Those of you that play around in the stock market know what I'm talking about. And you also know what I'm talking about if you've been involved with cyber currency. <laughs> Dogecoin. What a dog that was. What am I trying to say? We've got to produce. What are, we, what are we investing in? We're investing in souls. What are we investing? What are we giving? We're giving them the gospel. So what is the Lord going to find when he tells us, and the proverb says, he called his ten servants and delivered to them ten pounds and said to them, occupy till I come. He's returning. What have we done with the gospel, Crosspoint? So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge us from here on out. Now that we're beyond COVID and the shutdown and all this stuff that kind of affected everybody. I'm going to give us and I'm going to try and direct us the different ministries 
So where we can complete and do what he's telling us to do here. Everything's going to be focused around this. We need to go out into the harvest. We need to be bringing souls into the community of faith. Otherwise, we're not doing what he asked us to do. What a privilege, amen? And these could be your friends and neighbors. I mean, what a better way to have a church than the people that you know, at least to start off with. So pray about all that. We have different ministry needs. I'm going to bring more of those up as we move along. If you already have a ministry here, thank you. I love you for loving Christ and doing what he's saying. Please feel free to come to me with what you want to do and how we can support you. But God will give you the ability and the means. Remember, he measures out to each of us gifts. I don't have to, and I can't do your gift for you. Just like you can't be preaching up here for me. But we all have something special we can do. We should be doing it. And my prayer is that we will begin to grow because the time is close. Things are really heating up. And I believe the appearing of our Lord is much sooner than we imagine. Amen. I want to be able to give him something. Here, this is what we did with what you gave us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this very clear passage of scripture. Very popular. Usually misunderstood. Our prayer, Lord, is that it's comprehensible and that we would have the passion and the understanding to, to act as a church. We need you so bad. We need your help. We need your grace and mercy and no doubt the power and leading and directing of the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer, Lord. We open ourselves up. We ask this of you. Bring us to this place, Lord, where we're a thriving church with the Great Commission. The Great Commission is our mission. That's our vision. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now we're going to move into the offering. And then we're going to have our team of praise leaders coming up. And let me remind us, please consider um, that we're now taking two offerings. There's the offering and the tithes that we've always asked uh, and we required to give in the scripture for the supporting the, the ministry here, the, you know, the, the water, the lights, the gas, whatever. And then there's this project what we started a couple of weeks ago for the air conditioner, which we need, we, it's, thank God has cooled down, but we're going to need it again at some time in the future. And they're really expensive, so I'm challenging you guys also if you can give every week or one time or however God leads you to, put on your envelope, it's this big AC. And it, all of that will go for the air conditioner. No other way, it won't be used for anything else, right? It won't be used for Taco Tuesday at Crosspoint or anything like that, <laughs> right? So let's pray for the offering. Thank you, Lord, again. Uh, everything we have comes from you. There's no doubt about that. We're grateful. And we know, Lord, every good gift comes from above. And 
from you, the Father of lights, that is, the one in which there is no change. You, you give and you give us an abundance. So, Father, we simply want to return uh, and support this ministry with a cheerful heart. And we thank you for those that will do that. Bless them. Continue to provide for them. And we also ask, Lord, for our project on the air conditioner, that you would also move in the hearts of your congregation to uh, give in that for that particular need that we have. We thank you and ask you to bless the giver and bless those that are going to distribute it. May it be for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.